faith is not just a private matter. It is not an isolated thing. It is something that is meant to be reflected, meant to be communicated, meant to be shared. Now, of course, we can be responsible with how we do that, but it's something that's meant to be radiated also in the different areas of our lives, even the areas that we might consider most ungodly. Hello and welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes. I'm a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. Long live Christ the King. So last Sunday, as of the time that I'm recording this, is the Solemnity of Christ the King, as we would say it in Spanish, Viva Cristo Rey. And I want to start this off, you know, with a little bit of trivia that some of you might find interesting. And that is that Viva Cristo Rey, which means long live Christ the King, that reminds me of my last name because my last name is Reyes. So Rey means king and Reyes means kings. And De Los Reyes, you might know people whose last names are De Los Reyes, means of the kings. And so if you know someone whose last name is Reyes or De Los Reyes, at least that's one more thing that you know about their names. <laughs> and that's cool, right? And so the Feast of Christ the King marks the last Sunday of our liturgical year. So if you'll notice that by every Mass, we have our readings. And a, a part of our readings is coming from the Gospels. And our Gospels come from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mostly, John sometimes. But we cycle through Matthew and then Mark and then through Luke every liturgical year. And for this year, last year, we cycled through this year, pala, this year, last year, liturgical year, but this year, 2022, we cycled through the Gospel of Luke. And now we are about to enter into Matthew once again. And that will be beginning as we enter into Advent. Diba? Advent naman is the time when we start preparing for Christmas. So these are the weeks that come before we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the story of the Gospels also reset. It begins from the beginning when Jesus was just about to be born. And during Advent, you have the candles and then the priest is dressed in purple. A lot of purple cloths are used around the church, just like Lent as a time of preparation. But instead of Holy Week, it's the Nativity of Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is often a very hopeful time of the year. We're looking forward to many things, some not so much. <laughs> that includes yung mga gathering at sandamukal na Christmas parties na pagdadaanan natin. And, uh, but that's, that's part of the Filipino experience. That's part of our culture, di ba? Um, that includes, you know, Christmas parties with our workplace, with our friends, with our parents and other relatives, and so on and so forth. But before we talk further about Christmas and Advent and all of that that is to come, today I'd like for us to focus on what it means to say that Christ is King. What do we mean by saying Christ the King? Can we say that Christ reigns as King in our lives today? And I mean that personally, individually, but also collectively as Christians, or as Catholics, or as Filipinos? Can we say that Christ reigns in our lives today? 
we're not all that familiar with kings anymore. After all, we don't have kings here in the Philippines. We have presidents and vice presidents. And even in pre-colonial times, we have governors. We call them datus and rajas. And it's quite different, you know, having a king. And of course, there, there are similarities, there are overlaps. But the, the language of kingship, is all about royalty, it's all about reign, it's all about rule. And when we hear those words, those are words that we don't like that much anymore because we think, at least, that you know we're so progressive nowadays that all of these things are things of the past, that these are things that are not up-to-date anymore, these are things that are not relevant anymore in our time because we are more knowledgeable, or so we think. But... The, the, the solemnity of Christ the King is a recent development. It is on purpose. And it, it happened during the 1900s. It was established by Pope Pius XI. And it happened during a time of turmoil. It happened during a time of confusion, of disunity, when World War I just ended. And Pope Pius XI, this was one way for him to remind Catholics, Christians all over the world of something that is important to focus on and that is that Christ should reign as king in our lives. But again, what do we mean by that? If that's not something that we could say for our country, is that something that at least we could say for ourselves? Is Christ the king of my life? This is important because this is something, the idea of kingdom is something that Jesus valued. And we know this. We know that Jesus values the word kingdom, the idea of kingdom, because this is something that he mentions over and over in the story of the Gospels. If you were to look at Matthew, for example, the word kingdom is mentioned more than 50 times. And Matthew only has 28 chapters. So the kingdom, the word kingdom is mentioned more than there are chapters. You, and on average, we'll find that it's mentioned around one point five times every chapter. Now, of course, it's not evenly distributed. Not all chapters have the word kingdom in it. Some chapters have more mentions of the term kingdom than others, but you see that it is of importance to Jesus, the word kingdom, by just the fact that he mentions it over and over. If you were to look at the Gospel of Mark, you'll find around 20 mentions of the word kingdom. But Mark, in total, has less than 20 chapters. If you were to go to the Gospel of Luke, the word kingdom is mentioned around 40 times. And Luke only has 24 chapters, even less than Matthew, although I think Luke is longer. But that's what we see, the word kingdom, the idea of kingdom building. Okay, that's another Christian term that we find. But the idea of kingdom, let's, let's start there first. The idea of kingdom is something that mattered to Jesus by the very fact that he mentioned it over and over that's one of the ways that we can tell if something matters to someone. Like if you have someone, for example, who has watched a movie that, you know, really stuck with them, that really, you know, impressed them and uh, they found beautiful. And it's something that they will mention over and over and over. And they will find the ways to sneak it into conversations. Have you seen this movie already? Ah, shucks, you should watch it. It's super good. I don't want to spoil it for you. But, you know, sometimes they say that, but they spoil it a little bit because they're too excited. Or if you've watched it already, they just can't wait to discuss the ideas and the themes and the characters and the story and the plot because it is something that matters to them. If we have things that matter to us, we talk about it, right? We talk about the things that matter to us. And Jesus, in the same way, matters for him 
kingdom matters. And so he talked about it a lot. And it's not just something that he talked about a lot. It's something that he began with. It is very foundational to his teaching. Because if we were to look at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, the very first thing that Jesus preaches, talks about right after he was baptized, as he is beginning his ministry, as he is about to launch this new movement that will last for three years, going in different towns, um, leading people to knowing the Father. Well, the very first thing that he says is, repent for the kingdom of God draws near. The very first thing he talks about is kingdom. And the very first invitation that he gives is for us to repent. That's interesting. So at least there, by those facts, we can establish that the word kingdom is important. And so because of that, I think it's also important for us to understand if when we say kingdom, do we mean the same thing that Jesus means when he says kingdom? You know how sometimes you can get into miscommunication with someone that you're talking to because you're using the same words, but you mean two completely different things. For example, if you were to go to Glorieta Mall before, not anymore, but before, there were two McDonald's there. And if you were just to say, now let's meet in McDonald's Glorieta, you might find yourselves in, in two different places because there are two McDonald's before in Glorieta. This happens when we're referring to places, but this also happens when we're referring to concepts and ideas. And I think this is part of the reason why it's very difficult to talk about especially politically loaded things today. Because oftentimes we use the same words, but we don't mean the same things. Because when I tell you, and when I say the term kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, what comes into your mind? What do you think of? Do you think of a place in a distant future that we hope we would go? Or at least, you know, if you're not a Christian, you think Christians hope to go. This was a relevant conversation recently because of the entire thing with the Joy Spring, if you remember that, you know, about who goes to hell and who goes to heaven and so on. But that's, is that the right way of viewing the idea of kingdom? Or is that the only way of viewing the idea of kingdom? Because when Jesus talked about kingdom, it seemed to be a bit different from how we typically perceive it today. He's not just referring to a place that we will go to after we die. He's not just referring to a place that we will eventually be in, although there is some truth into that also. I'm not saying that that's completely false. There is some truth into that, but it, it pays to pay attention to how Jesus talks about kingdom. In his first preaching that we find, in Matthew and in Mark, he says, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or draws near. And with that kind of wording, what does it seem like? Does, does it seem like we are going to the kingdom or does it seem like the kingdom is coming to us? The kingdom of God draws near. When he talked about the kingdom in the prayer that he taught us, the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Does he say, may we go to your kingdom? No, he says, may your kingdom come. What does that imply? And if that's not enough, he doubles down on it. After he says, may your kingdom come, he says, may your will be done where? On earth. As it is in heaven. So it's not denying heaven. As it is in heaven. As it is in God's space. As it is in God's domain. As it is as God wills it as it is in heaven. But he says, 
may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth. We often like to skip that part. In a different passage, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom. How can you seek something first if that something is not meant to arrive up until when you die? You seek the kingdom first. Where? Here, now. You seek it first. You don't seek it last. Are you with me? And if you'll notice, most of Jesus' parable, it's about the kingdom. And he mentions it specifically. Again, we, we, don't, we don't take note of these things oftentimes. We just look at the story. We just look at the parable. But when he talks about the parables, oftentimes he mentions the term kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a mustard seed. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a treasure buried in a field. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a master entrusting his property to his servants. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Yes, of course, there is a future reality. We talk about it in terms of, there's a term for it, eschatology, right? the end times, what is to come, the fulfillment of all things. Yes, we're talking about the kingdom in that sense. That is true. I'm not discounting that in any way. There is more that happens after, you know, in the resurrection of the body, in the final judgment, in Jesus' second coming. There is a heaven, the new heavens and the new earth in that sense. But I'd like to focus on the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven because that is also real. That is also true. And if we don't acknowledge that, we might just miss the kingdom that is to come later on. If we don't acknowledge how the kingdom is being established here and now, how can we find and see it for later? That would be a fun exercise to do. You know, if you have your Bible with you, you could go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but more on the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and try to encircle all the times that the word kingdom is mentioned. Use a pencil if you don't want to, you know, put a permanent mark on your Bible. But, you know, mark all the times that the term kingdom was mentioned and read the context. If you could read the entire Gospels, that would be super great. But if you want to go specific, go specific to these different parts so that you could compare and contrast them, try to pay attention to all of the ways um, that the word kingdom is used by Jesus or the authors of the Gospels. It will be very interesting because you'll find that when, when they talk about the kingdom, yes, you know, Jesus, when, when he was hanging on the cross talking to someone, one of the thieves that were hanging beside him, he talks about the paradise. You know, today you will be with me in paradise. So that's one instance. However, there are more instances of Jesus talking about the kingdom as a present reality rather than just a future thing for us to look forward to. Both are important. Both are important. I'm just emphasizing the present because oftentimes when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we just look at the future thing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven begins here and now. And where does it begin? When we have people who recognize Christ as king. First, to have a, a what helped me at least understand this better is because when we think of kingdom we think of a palace or a castle or like a land and a place and these things can be helpful sometimes but another way of thinking about it is kingship not just kingdom but kingship the kingship of christ and this connects to our the first question that i ask you which is 
Can you say that Christ is the king of your life? Of our lives as individuals and as a collective, as Christians and as Filipinos? Is Christ the king of our lives? And this idea of being king, of kingship, this is something that we find from the very beginning of the story of the scriptures. If you were to go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you'll find this idea of ruling, of kingdom. This is not just something that Jesus invents on the fly. No, Jesus is drawing from the revealed word of God even to the Hebrews, even to the Jews. And after all, he does say that he is fulfilling the law and the prophets, right? So Jesus is pointing out something that was that had already been, or not already been, but that was being revealed continually in his time and in the time that came before him. There are many passages that we can go to if we want to understand further the theme of kingdom in the Bible. But in the interest of time, we'll just take a look at Genesis. If you want to learn more about this, I will be linking a video, a Bible project video, um, talking about kingdom for us to see that better for you if you want to learn more about these things. And I will also be linking to an article about the history of the Feast of Christ the King for us to also to understand how it came about and the context in which it came about because that part is also very interesting. So now, let's talk about Genesis chapter 1. So God creates the world in six days and on the seventh day, He rested. And on the sixth day, He decides to create people. And how does the Scriptures tell this to us? It says in verse 26 and reading onward also, and God said, Let us make man in our image and likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals and reptiles that crawl upon the earth. God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and told them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. So there are several words that are repeated over and over here. And especially you'll find this in Genesis chapter 1. It, it's like a rhythm that we find. And we mentioned this a little bit in our previous episode when we talked about memorized prayers, right? There is a rhythm that we find Let us first day, the second day, the third day. It was evening and it was morning. It was evening and it was morning. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. So there's a, there's a repetition that we find in the text. And in this short passage that we read just now, the words that are repeated is the word image, that's one, but also the word dominion or rule in other translations. So the idea is that mankind is made in God's image. And here, when it uses the term image, it's referring to a specific thing. It's referring to what we now call today statues. So what are statues for? Statues are there to remind you of someone, right? If you have a statue of Jose Rizal in Rizal Park, it's there to remind you of Lapu-Lapu. No, Jose Rizal. It's there to remind you of Jose Rizal. That's what the statue represents. You, f you have Lapu-Lapu at the back of Rizal Park. His statue is bigger, but he's in the back. But that statue is meant to remind you of Lapu-Lapu. So statues are meant to remind you of what the statue represents, what the image represents, in the same way that a photo, for example. If I have a photo of my wife, the photo reminds me of my wife. Is the photo my wife? 
No, but when I look at the photo, I am reminded of whom? I am reminded of my wife. In the same manner, an image is meant to remind the others of what the image is pointing to. And if if the Bible tells us that we are made in the image and in the likeness of God, then shouldn't it make sense that when we live our lives, other people are reminded of the Lord? But how many of us can honestly say that that is the way we treat people, that that is the way we, we fulfill our work, that that is the way we go around our daily routines, uh, that is the way that we post on social media. How many of us can say that? Even I can't say that all the time. I am just as in need of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy. But that is part of what it means to have Christ as our King. It means that we image Him well. And this, this term image, again, going back to the passage, is also one of the terms, one of the words that are repeated is the word rule or dominion. That is kingdom language. What rules? A king rules. And if you have representatives of the king, those representatives are supposed to extend the rule of that king, to, to apply it, to represent it, to remind others of it. To point toward the king, that is what good image bearers do. That is what clear photos do. We also have blurry photos, and sometimes that's how we live our lives. You know, we're blurry images. But a clear photo represents that which it points toward. And to kind of bring everything to a conclusion, the reason why I'm talking about this is because we live in a time when religion or faith is something that is compartmentalized into our private lives. You know, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but don't impose it upon others. Um, if you have certain religious beliefs, you know, that's not how you're supposed to share it. You, you don't, don't force others to believe the same way you do. And yeah, of course, there's some truth into that. However, there is also some truth into the fact that faith is not just a private affair. That if there are things that you truly believe, then shouldn't it affect the way that you act and live your life on a daily basis? If you really believe that junk food is bad for you, you won't eat it every day. But if you say you believe that junk food is bad for you and yet you consume so much without thought or remorse, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Part of faith is a personal engagement with the Lord, with these truths. But it is not a private affair. It is meant to be reflected in the way that we live our lives daily. Our relationship with Christ is not just a Sunday thing that we are reminded of every time we go to Mass. In fact, the Sunday thing when we go to church is meant to set us up for the rest of the week also. <laughs> it is a constant Reminder that we worship Jesus, that we worship the Lord. And part of worshiping Jesus is reflected in how we treat our neighbor. That's, after all, what he calls the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
faith is not just a private matter. It is not an isolated thing. It is something that is meant to be reflected, meant to be communicated, meant to be shared. Now, of course, we can be responsible with how we do that, but it's something that's meant to be radiated also in the different areas of our lives, even the areas that we might consider most ungodly. Even our work, our family, our school. How are we representing Jesus in those areas, whether we talk about Him explicitly or not? Part of declaring, proclaiming that Christ is our King is subjecting ourselves under His kingship. Part of it is obedience. Part of it is listening. Part of it is respect. And we all need a little help every now and then for us to be aligned in all of these ideals, right? <laughs> That's why community is important. That's why church is important. That's why reconciliation is important. Confession, the sacrament of confession is very important also because this is not something that we always live out very well. It's not something that I always live out very well. But every year in this solemnity, we celebrate it specifically. Christ as our king, as individuals, and hopefully as it radiates to our family, to our circles, to our communities, even in our country. And a good place to start is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself, whether you're in church, but also when you're not. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If this is something that you found valuable and if you know someone who might benefit from this also, won't you send this to them? Won't you share this to your feed? Help us out by giving us a review on Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you're using to listen to this. We have a Facebook group, Not So Secular Discussions and Questions. The link to that will be in the description. And if you want to help us continue this and make it better and for me to be able to dedicate more of my time and resources into making this podcast happen, you can do that in a very practical way by going to ko-fi.com slash not-so-secular. That's ko-fi.com slash not-so-secular where you can donate to the thing that we're doing here at Not So Secular. That is a very practical way of helping us do this and um, that would be very much appreciated. Again, thank you very much for listening all the way through. I'll see you in our next episode. Bye.